0: Hey, Jenny Butler here. Just wanted to check in. I know it's been a while since we dropped an episode. We've been working on some new and exciting changes, but while you wait, I wanted to resurface one of our older episodes and one of my favorites. It's with Chloe Bai, who at the time ran the If Then program, which was a short film funding program from Tribeca. Now Chloe's moved on to Netflix where she's working in original documentaries. In this episode, Chloe gives some terrific advice on what makes a great documentary short and what funders are looking for. It's a really insightful conversation. It's one of my favorites, and I hope you enjoy
1: One of the things you always want as a filmmaker in an application is you want to be really clear and focused about what you want to do. I read a lot of applications, and one of the things I always walk away with is I'm like, I don't understand this vision, I don't understand the topic, and I don't understand what I'm going to see on screen.
2: Welcome to Rough Cut. I'm Sky Dylan
0: Robbins. And I'm Jenny Butler. Sky, it seems like there's two different pathways to making a short documentary. One of them is you work at a company, and that company puts you behind a camera, and you have a pretty clear path of where that short is going to be published, how it's going to be distributed. Mm-hmm. And then there's this other avenue, which is You're just an independent filmmaker with an idea. And that avenue is not really as clear. And
2: much harder, you know? And much harder. Yeah. So our guest today is Chloe Bai, who is the director of the If Then Shorts program at the Tribeca Film Institute. And she inhabits that other world where she works with independent filmmakers, this second track, right, to give them money through a grant, and then also helps with distribution. And you guys talked about that whole aspect.
0: Yeah. Chloe is very much in the short doc world. She works at If Then, which gives grants to filmmakers to finish their short doc. And it also gives them mentorship so they can kind of figure Mm -hmm. out where they're going with it. She comes from PBS's POV Shorts, and so she has a lot of insight on what makes a good short doc pitch and how you should prepare to ask a grant funder for for money for your short doc. And also, once you get money, and let's say you finish it and it goes through the festival circuit, what do you do after that? How do you get distribution? I mean, it's not it's not as clear for shorts as it is for feature films no Um, it's the
2: wild west and and also you know that that mentorship aspect is so so key because you know the media industry these days is so fractured and the idea i mean the reason why the video consortium came about was because there is this kind of lack of really clear connections among us all like who do i ask for x and where do i go to for y and the fact that you know mentorship is part of the if then program is uh really integral. Yeah, it's so it's so necessary
0: to the process. It's not just a matter of throwing
2: money at something. It's like mm-hmm. how do you spend that money? What do you prioritize? And DL also talk about how she picks them. I bet they get quite a lot of submissions.
0: Yeah, definitely. We talk about how to make your application stand out, what if then specifically is looking for, but also what makes a compelling short documentary idea in general. So super useful interview for anyone who is thinking about going down this path.
2: Absolutely. And also translatable to a lot of the other grant programs that are out there and just, you know, honing your craft as a short filmmaker. Which often then leads to feature filmmaking, as so many of us are transitioning to. Yeah,
0: definitely um, seems to be a stepping stone for a lot of people. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's hear from uh, our guest. This is Chloe Bai, and you're listening to Rough Cut. Here we go.
1: Hey, I'm Ben Cohen, and I'm a freelance editor and filmmaker. And I'm here to tell you about Musicbed. MusicBed has made it easier than ever for you to find the song you're looking for with intuitive and easy-to-use browse and search, amazing indie artists and bands, incredible composers like Ryan Taubert and Chad Lawson, and thousands of songs to choose from. To create your free account and learn more, go to MusicBed.com. Plus, as a rough-cut listener like me, you'll get one month of subscription for free or 20% off a single-song license. Just enter promo code Cut, all one word,
2: when you check out.
0: Thank you so much, Chloe, for, for doing this.
1: You're the director of If Then at Tribeca. Can you describe what exactly that is? Totally, yeah. So my program is, is an interesting one at Tribeca Film Institute. Um, and, you know, the institute is really separated from the film festival in the sense that we're essentially the not-for-profit grant-making arm of it. Um, my program was started to really look at shorts. So MacArthur Foundation approached TFI and said, hey, you know, the short space is booming and we really want to figure out a way to support it. And, you know, it was a series of brain trusts that they did with filmmakers along with industry people uh, really talking about, like, what does the short space need? If we're going to make this fund for short documentaries, like, what actually is helpful? So basically... um, As the director of Fifth Then, I oversee the program. There are two amazing women that I work with, Cass Gardner and Caitlin May Burke. And they um, and together we do a whole um, program that not only funds short docs, but also provides mentorship as well as distribution support and festival strategy.
0: Mm -hmm. What kind of mentorship do you find that directors need in the stage where they're asking for a grant?
1: Totally. I mean, short docs are forever evolving right and so I like to think that we lend not only a little bit of um, uh, exposure to our films right like I think it matters that they have a TFI logo on it you know I think it matters that um, that I can go to forums and festivals and talk openly about their projects so that I think is an is uh, is lending some of that Um, capital and is mentoring but also you know a lot of our filmmakers this is the first time that they've gotten $25,000 to work on a short you know and that takes doing that takes doing to like figure out how to do your production schedule to figure out how to build out your budget in a way that would make sense to a funder this is um, maybe not always but maybe the first time that they're working with um working with a funder in this capacity. And so it's nice to kind of have a safe playground to do that. Um, So we... We like to think that we don't just give filmmakers the money and then they kind of go off and do the thing. But we help them through the process. We help them through production. If they have any snafus, we advise them. Um, We advise on cuts. You know, Mm -hmm. we watch their cuts. We give feedback. Um, We help them make, like, broadcast delivery deliverables. um, Broadcast quality deliverables that they can use to um, then get out. There. We help them on their festival strategy. What festivals would be good for your films, what haven't? It helps that we've been to all of them, right? And so we can say, like, and we also know the programmers, so we can say, like, oh, this film would fit, this film wouldn't, you should apply to this. Um for some, if we can get waivers, you know, it's sometimes it's easier for us to reach out to festivals and say, Hey, will you give us waivers than filmmakers? So we can help them with that. Um, distribution support. I used to work in shorts distribution, and so luckily I know a lot of the players, as does Caitlin and Cass, and so we're able to to kind of shop out their films for them, which um, is helpful in the in the sea of short talks out there.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about distribution because it, we're sort of having a, a golden era for, for shorts right now. I mean, you're seeing shorts on Netflix and um, other streaming platforms. But I, I did an interview last season with a distributor who said it's just almost impossible to find a home for shorts. So... How do you advise people on their distribution strategy? Do you agree that it is
1: a good time for shorts right now in terms of distribution? I, I think it's um, I think it's very I, I do not believe that it's impossible to find a home for shorts. Um, I think it's hard. Like mm-hmm. I don't think and I also don't think it's like made to be easy necessarily. Um for me, shorts are always really interesting because the audience is huge. Actually, I think the audience potential for a short doc is much higher than the potential for a feature doc because they're quicker.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and I think people are much more likely to watch short docs than they are, even if they don't know that they're watching short docs. A lot of Facebook videos are just short docs. You know, um, I think Vice can prove that. Like a lot of their content is short web-based docs that they're doing. And then, you know, they also have a ton of broadcasts and a ton of feature length. But I would say the brand and butter of definitely of what sustained that pivot to video news journalism boost that we saw was all short content. Um, And so I think it's absolutely great and easy to find a place that will house your short doc. It's whether or not you can get money doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And that is... um, that's the hardest part for me, and to be honest, the market doesn't match the economics. You know, the value of short docs should be much higher than what people are getting. Um, and it all has—it all comes down to you know who's making a short doc and why are they making it. Majority of the time, there's very few. Um, like Marshall Curry is a great example of a filmmaker who is super well established and and still working in short form like by choice but there's very few um there's very few short doc makers that are coming out into the market that are doing so and um and aren't doing it to build their career right Mm -hmm. like that's just true a lot of people's first film is a short because they're cheaper to make they're easier to make um and so when you have filmmakers who might be shopping like their film not it might not be their first film but it might be their first film that they're taking to a festival and trying to shop the room for exploitation is higher right and I'm not saying that anyone is out here trying to like make a dime on filmmakers I don't want to disparage any names but I want to say that as a fact that like you know I think that we should be paying 10k for short docs Mm. I think that a 12 minute short doc has the potential to make 10k I don't think that's as a straight up acquisition coming out of a festival. I don't think that's unreasonable, but it's you're going to be hard pressed to find that because of the um, supply and demand. And also what people are offering is what you can get. Hmm. So. Um, so, yeah. So I think in terms of it's funny that you were you were talking to a sales agent or a distributor who said that. Um, we did an interview with Dan. Oh from Sylvester Burger. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. From he would say that. Yeah. Totally because he has to make money off of it, right? And like that's totally fair because that's his job. But um but in, in terms of finding a place for a short to live, if you're an independent filmmaker trying to get it out there, you absolutely can do that easily, especially if it has some festival behind it. But yeah, making a making an economic model that works for shorts super hard.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Is that something that filmmakers should be aware of is being possibly exploited in that way?
1: Um, I mean I use also like very uh, alarmist language always (laughs) so like I mean I think they should be aware that like it's incredibly hard to make revenue off of a short talk Mm -hmm. and uh, I always go on my little rant which is that A lot of the conversations that we have about film, especially in terms of diversity, who gets to tell the story, where are female filmmakers, where are filmmakers of color, you know, I think a lot of it can be talked about in an economic sense. Um, Who can afford to make a short doc that is like you know, high quality, has professional color, really great sound mixing. It, and if they don't know anybody who does it, right? So, like, for instance, I went to NYU, right? So chances are, which is a very expensive school. <laughs> um, and so chances are that, like, I know somebody who can do some of this stuff in kind. But if you don't know that, you're looking at a 50K out from your, like, own pocket to make a short that will, like, do the distance of – um of getting made, getting into festivals and possibly like getting on some awards docket somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, Not saying it... it Like, it's definitely been done for less, but, like, that is a norm, right? Or even 30K. So who can afford to throw that out of pocket? Well, it's probably somebody who's coming from a class that's not working class. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And historically in this country, the people that we most are looking for in representation in terms of diversity are coming from class structures that have um, systematically been um, kept at at a lower class. And so... So I think that uh, one of the best things we, gatekeepers, industry, speaking from like this side of the industry, can do to diversify the pipeline and to increase the amount of access into the industry for filmmakers um, to be able to participate and to be able to make their work is actually to fund and to pay. Mm -hmm. Because if we're able to do an influx of cash and put things in, like, again, who can afford to make a short? What if everyone could afford to make a short? Yeah. Think about the diversity yes. of artwork that could um, that could be made. So um, I forget your original question. No, that's a great point.
0: <laughs> and I just want to, before we get into... More into if then. I one more question about um, distribution. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say that you just finished a short; it just went through the festival circuit. What are the first steps to get some kind of distribution, even if you're not expecting to make a penny off of it, but you just want want it to see the world? What do you do?
1: I mean, the second you find out your festival premiere, that's a great time to start telling people, right? Um, And by that, I mean, most of the most, I would say, common and we can keep it domestic, right? Because I think the European market is way different than the American market, as is the Asian market. Um, But in the in the domestic U.S. market, you know, the, the best time to contact a distributor is when you have is before you premiere when you have your festival locked in before you premiere because if um if they're acquiring and if they think it's good, they want to be on it first. And so and you get the most eyeballs on your film at a premiere, probably. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's the best time for them to slap to give you the money, slap a logo on it. And then if your film does really, really well at the festival, say it wins. Say it goes to Atlanta and it wins a qualifying award. Great. Now you have a distributor who's already attached to the project who probably wants it to go to the Oscars. So um, so then you have some incentive to be like, hey, will you pay for a publicist for me? Will you um, help me get some f- cover my fees for more submissions? Um, that kind of thing, because then you have the momentum to really feed yourself forward. And um, I would do my research. I tell all my filmmakers, do your homework you know, figure out who is acquiring, figure out who your commissioning editors are, figure out who's in charge of video at New York Times, you know figure out who you need to talk to um, in order to make this work the internet exists and everybody pretty much has it in their Twitter bios so so I think it takes probably max two days of sleuthing to figure out who you need to email and how to email them to get your film in front of them and you have news, also you have stuff they want because their jobs are to buy films, so you're never bothering anybody. I used to tell people that when i worked at pov was like literally just email me your film with a link and you know what the update is because my whole job is reviewing watching films and acquiring so you are helping me do my job
0: Mm, that's great advice and when when you get those emails at tribeca or pov what stands out to you when you start watching a short like at what moment are you like okay this we need to pay attention to this we need to fund this
1: yeah um it's interesting. So when I was at POV, I was doing a lot more acquiring. So I was definitely watching more things, and then just to, and then it was way more of like a curato- curatorial lens. So I was like, oh, well, this worked for my season and my slate of films that I'm choosing. When I met Tribeca, we have a much different focus for who we're funding in the short doc space. Our main focus, first and foremost, is regional storytelling. Like, we are very much focused. Um, we do four pitches in the U.S. So we do American West, Midwest, Northeast, and American South. And it's one of my very strong, strong feelings that we need to support filmmakers that are living and working in the regions that they're representing. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, I think that if we're thinking about regionality, I don't want to fund a film, like if we go to American West, for example, or not West, uh, because West has LA, but say we're going to the Midwest, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Midwest has Chicago. So say we're going to the (laughs) South. (laughs) Say we're going to American South, um, and we have a great film about, um, you know, that takes place in rural Georgia, say, and then it turns out that the film, and we like love it, and it's a great film, and it turns out the filmmaker is in New York, we're no longer funding a filmmaker that will then take those resources to the South, right? They're going to go down, they're going to shoot, they're probably going to fly their crew out from New York because that's who they know. Um, And so they're going to fly there, they're going to make this movie, and then they're going to go back and then they're going to do all of their edit and all everything in New York. And it's not going to, um, it's not going to stimulate the region. So why did we go to the South? You know, um, as much as I think it's important to have stories from other places on screen, like we don't need as many stories as we have from New York and L.A., right? Like we need diversity on screen of like the places that we see in our country. But also I think it's really important to support the local filmmaking because actually New Orleans has really amazing filmmakers. You know, if we support a filmmaker who's working in New Orleans, it's a rising tides raises all boats kind of situation where suddenly not only are they filming there and they understand those communities best that they're depicting because they live there, but they're also then doing all of their production and post. They're using local catering, they're hiring local crews, all of the skills, all of the mentorship that we then impart in the filmmaker, right, gets passed down through the people that they're working with. And then the whole region is good. Yeah, it's
0: important. I mean, obviously, the social impact is, is so important and also those stories tend to be better told when they're told from inside a community, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. But that aside, I mean, let's say that you get to films, both from New Orleans, both from local careers, local filmmakers. What makes one content-wise,
1: like creativity-wise, stand out to you? I mean... Um, one of the things you always want as a filmmaker in an application is you want to be really clear and focused about what you want to do. Um, I read a lot of applications, not just for if then, I review for other funds and panels as asked, um, and one of the things I always walk away with is I'm like, I don't understand this vision, I don't understand the topic, and I don't understand, you know, what I'm going to see on screen. And mm-hmm. so, like, the best thing you can do, I mean, one of the best things that IDA ever did was come out with a documentary core application because suddenly all you have to do is focus for as long as everybody follows it, all you have to do is focus on writing, like, your topic summary, your artistic, <laughs> um, your artist summary, and your um, story synopsis. You know, you have three things that you just have to kind of perfect and to me it's if you're just super clear um then i know the story you're trying to tell in terms of like visuals i think um you know, a story can be told in a lot of different ways, and the visual has to match. Something I see a lot in shorts, which is really interesting, is this kind of, like, disembodied voice effect, where it's, like, slow motion, um, person walking through whatever scene, and then we just hear their voice kind of overlaid. Um, and that's kind of the whole film, and we never actually see somebody talking. That happens again and again in shorts, because I think you can get away with it more in shorts. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I've bought some shorts at POV that have that effect, where it worked beautifully. I've seen some shorts where didn't but it's I think for us you know we like to have we like projects that have work samples we don't require it but they tend to do better if they have some sort of footage attached to them Um, we at Tribeca we asked for uh, some kind of like diversity statement and some kind of um, diversity inclusion and also talking about like you know who has the right to tell this story and kind of like what is your connection with the story which I think is important But I would say my main tips to filmmakers who are like going for um, especially a funding application that are early in either development or early production and maybe don't have like a full cut to show somebody for shorts is just be really clear about what you want. Um, Another thing that's really common in shorts is that um, and this isn't always true, but like topic sell. Right. And so like if you the nice thing about shorts is that they're quicker. So um, than features. So if you have something that is like you know, a story that's happening in the moment that's a little bit more political that might be good for trending and you're trying to get online, that's always great to be able to lean into as well.
0: Mm. What about someone who's doing like, wants to do a verite short and they're not really sure, you know, maybe they have a sense of what the themes would be. They know who the characters would be, but there's, it's still unclear how it's going to unfold. Do you have any advice for someone who wants to make a short like that and maybe isn't super clear about where it's going to go? Yeah do it for cheap I mean (laughs) like but I mean for their application like um how how fleshed out are are you looking for these to
1: be I mean yeah you have to kind of and again our our program is different I think than like other funds in that we also have a time component so we expect our films to be done within you know we don't we don't call it we don't commission shorts right and it's we call it completion funding so I mean 25k is enough to make a full short but you know, we expect it to be done in three to six months because we work with our filmmakers for a year. And so we want to be able to, like, have six months to actually do the distribution part of it. Um, and, yeah, I think because, um, you know, festival, stra- again, w- the program is really looking at career overall. So it's important to have six months to do kind of festival strategy and stuff. Um, so for us, you kind of need to be more further along. Like you have to you have to be clear because you got to finish the thing soon, Um but I think you know other funds are not there's there's specific funds that are that are just for development. IDA is great about that. IDA has a ton of funds that um are looking at like how to support films early. you know also a lot of um a lot of shorts platforms are looking for stuff to come in earlier. Field of Vision is a great example. They commission, you know, they Mm -hmm. don't, they don't really acquire. And so um, if you have something that you've been following Verite and you're like, this is what I think the story is going to be. I also don't think it's wrong to guess you know, I always, I always tell filmmakers, I'm like, okay, well, what do you think? And they're like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, but you've been with these people for a minute, right? Filming mm-hmm. them, what do you think is going to happen? It's okay, it's documentary. We all understand that, like, real life sometimes doesn't match. But, um, but I expect every filmmaker that I talk to to be the expert of their subjects, right? Mm-hmm. And so that uh, I had a really great professor once from NYU, Tom Jennings, who actually runs or used to run the, um, I don't know if he's still there, the Logan Nonfiction Program and is a great producer for Frontline. And he was the one who taught me research. He's like, you should research your characters. Like if you're making a documentary, you should sit down and you should have a 12-page document that says every single thing you need to know about this person. And you should be the expert of their life so that when you're filming them, you probably know what they're going to do before they do it because you've studied them so hard. And so... I'll tell my filmmakers I'm like okay it's very tight I totally get it but what do you think is going to happen and then you can kind of guess what you think your film's going to be and maybe it won't turn out maybe it'll be some crazy twist we all understand that nobody's going to penalize you if you sell a film that maybe doesn't come to fruition I don't think as long as you use your best judgment but I I don't actually expect my filmmakers to just follow a story to see what happens Mm. and that also I think comes from like the journalism part of me too like I would have never gone at Teen Vogue to make a film where I didn't kind of know what was probably going to happen
0: yeah it's kind of an unfortunate trope about like the video journalism industry where you've got something scripted before you even go out on the shoot and you're just filling in the blanks yeah it's unfortunate we can't do things more verite and just let things unfold but
1: i would yeah i would argue that you can like if i'm going to make a verite film right about um let's say let's say i want to make a really esoteric film about my dog right like i am the research i know my dog You know, and so I can still make a beautiful, a really good example of this is um, Kamal Bilal's Baby Brother, which was an op doc. Um, Yeah, yeah, which Mm -hmm. was very, very good verite. But if you talk to him, he'll be like, yeah, no, I knew my brother was going to do all of that stuff because I know my brother. You know, (laughs) like it's a verite film that's full of great surprises. It's really comedic. um, It's well timed. But he, I remember I asked him once, I was like, what made you start this film? He's like, oh, I knew my brother was going to move in with my parents. and I knew something was going to happen. and I knew it wasn't going to work out. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I think I mean I'm paraphrasing, but like uh, I do think that you still have to kind of know, you know, and you have to know your stories and you have to know your subjects, and it can be verite, but no one should walk into a room and not know what's going to happen, because that's not filmmaking. That's just sticking a camera somewhere and seeing what happens. Yeah, it's all about intention. Yeah, exactly. Where Where do you shoot? Yeah, yeah. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Where do you point your camera? I think maybe
0: that's another good reason to be connected with the community and the people who you're filming is exactly. that's easier to anticipate maybe what's going to happen exactly can you talk about an if-then quote-unquote success story i know we all have different versions like definitions of success but totally. what pops out in your head and can you talk about
1: why you think it was so successful there's a lot so for instance we had a film called sanctuario which followed a woman who, uh, during the sanctuary movement, if you if you'll remember, um, early on, earlier in the Trump administration the a lot of undocumented immigrants in this country were doing this thing called pleading sanctuary. Um and they were living in churches. It was kind of a very old, antiquated law that was from even mm. European times that's grandfathered over, but they were pleading sanctuary and they were living in churches to avoid deportation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so um our two filmmakers, Pilar and Christine, went and um And they filmed this woman who was in North Carolina. Um, And so they pitched at New Orleans and then they went on the following year to show their film at New Orleans and win the Academy Qualifying um, Award there. And uh, they, you know, broadcasted on PBS Real South. They did international broadcasts on Al Jazeera. They um, went and raised additional money for an impact campaign. They did basically all the things that we like want our filmmakers to do, which is like make the film, um, get it out into the world and like get it into the community and then we have other films that like do really well in festivals we have this one film Dyer of Cattle which has been to like over 25 festivals around the world and it was wow. funded out of Indonesia um why do
0: you think that these films are doing so well like what what is the through line you're seeing in successful shorts I think they're good short docs well, like, I think what all makes good, good short, short docs doc do good. well
1: I, I so what makes a short doc good is um is when it tells a full story Mm -hmm. I tell I used to say this all the time at POV when people would send me their films. I'm like, you're sending me a scene. Mm. You know, I don't want to see a scene. I want to see a beginning, middle and end. And I want to see I think it's absolutely harder to make a short than a feature because in feature you have time you have time to like get to know your characters you have time to fall in love with someone you have time to like you know see a full struggle you have time for arc and drama and suspense and all of that in a short you have less than 40 minutes and so um it's incredibly difficult to do that in such a short amount of time and I want a full story I you know um Nathan Schusdell has a real is a great short form filmmaker. And I always cite Balloon Fast. I used to, I remember I used to take I I also acquired it for POV. And I used to take that film when I was when I'd be asked to do master classes or panels and I would teach it. And I'd be like, this is a beginning, middle, end. We start here, you have a climax, (laughs) you have an end. It's such a clear arc. Yeah, exactly. And like it's and that is what makes a short film so good, I think, Mm -hmm. is and that's what people want.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We touched on this a little bit earlier, but a director who is developing a short right now and want and needs a grant to finish it, whether they're applying for if-then or another grant funding program, general pieces of
1: advice for a strong application. Totally. Do your research... Um as far as what's out there. I, you can get money from really untraditional sources. Um IDA has an amazing I forget what they call I forget what the platform's called, but they have an amazing kind of database of all of the short uh, of all of the funding that's available for documentary. And you can like kind of filter it's an air table, that's what it is. And you can filter it by um by short feature length, uh focus topic if you're a female director, if you're not, like all of that kind of stuff. And oh, so that's you can great. Yeah. And so I, I point people to that often. It's on documentary.org. Um, And And we will put a link to that
0: in the show notes. Yeah.
1: So one. So the first thing you can do if you're looking for um, for resources to fund your short is do your research and find the funds. Um, Know who you're pitching right like don't uh it's funny at POV we never did and you know I don't want to speak to their current programming strategy because I'm not there anymore but generally you know we didn't do biopics we didn't do archival and we didn't do history um and so whenever anybody would pitch me one of those three I'd be like we don't do that <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and so you should know who you're pitching um you should know what they're interested in right don't pitch field Division with an acquisition because they rarely they I, they very rarely acquire the commission so you pitch them with an idea not with a finished film. Um, know your pitching, uh, do your research, be really clear in your focus and what you want, and um, you're going to have to be down a lot of doors. And then I think it always helps to also think about – who you can get to like kind of be in your corner. Uh, so what I will, what I always kind of did at POV um, is if somebody like pitched me their film and I wasn't going to take it, and I was like, you know, you got to get more funding first. I'd absolutely write them a letter of recommendation. And as somebody who like reviews funds all the time, that goes a long way. When I see an application that has a, a letter of recommendation from one of my peers, it's very esteemed in the field. Absolutely. I like take that to heart. And so I think um, that's another thing you can ask if you don't get funding from someone and they're like, "Oh, maybe come back to me." You can be like, "Okay, well would you write me a letter of interest? Letter mm-hmm. of recommendation, something that says like, "Hey, we've had this conversation and you're into it," so I could use that to get more funding. Closed mouths don't get fed, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you really have to um, think of different ways to get what you want. Mm, that's
0: great advice. Well, thank you so much Chloe for doing this. I'm Thanks. sure this was so helpful for everyone listening. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Jenny Butler. Sky Dylan Robbins is our co producer. George Itzak is our booking producer. Hansdale Sue does our audio mix. And our original music is by Zach Wright.
2: And Rough Cut is a part of the Video Consortium, which is a creative community of the world's top emerging nonfiction filmmakers and video journalists. We're scattered all around the globe, and we have chapters in New York, LA, San Francisco, Washington DC, Milan, Paris, and with many more to come. If you want to join and become a member, check us out at videoconsortium.com. And if you want to learn
0: more about Rough Cut, go to roughcutpodcast.com, visit us on Instagram at roughcutpodcast, and go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review, subscribe, and rate our show.